0: Terms and conditions apply.
1: This is Hardwood Handicappers, Veasan's premier NBA betting podcast. Here's your host, Jonathan Von Tobel. Good morning, folks. Welcome in. It is Hardwood Handicappers here on this Wednesday morning. Jonathan Von Tobel, flying solo for today. Had to uh, crank this episode up pretty early because I am filling in on Lombardi Line rest of the week. So, you know, when you start at a nine a.m. Pacific time, you got to record these bad boys relatively early in the morning. A reminder for all of you who are maybe tuning in right now and wondering, hey, Wednesday episode of uh, Harvard Handicappers, what's going on? We are starting along with this new schedule over on uh, v Sin, We're adding to the podcast schedule as well. Want to promote, of course, our NHL betting podcast, upcoming Major League Baseball betting podcast, as well as the college basketball betting podcast, uh, the two of the three, which are already underway right now. A lot of great content in terms of the digital space coming out of v And uh, as part of that, and more dedicated effort to get some regular content here from Hardwood Handicappers and a, a little bit more geared towards some Wednesday or just day of previews right on some of these bigger cards. So Monday, Wednesday, Friday, look for a bunch of these and we'll still cover a lot of the same topics and Kelly will be alongside for two of the three episodes throughout the week and we'll look to have some more special guests here on these Wednesdays. But uh, shockingly enough, not a lot of people want to record me at 6 a.m. <laughs> Pacific time. So we got a good one on Road. recap what happened last night in the NBA it was an interesting night. In terms of some of the results and some interesting trends that we're going to keep track of throughout the rest of the regular season and look ahead to today. So uh, with that, let's get into a little bit of a recap with what happened last night. I really wanted to focus on because I got my eyes on two of the games and there's some statistical things that we can dive into just kind of box score recapping as well that tie into some bigger topics that we've hit on in the podcast here already. But the first one I wanted to go to was this matchup between Indiana and Dallas. So the Dallas Mavericks fall to 1-4 and in the five games in which both Kyrie Irving and Luka Doncic have played together. And that matters for quite a few reasons, right? Uh, I I wouldn't go so far as saying that the Mavericks are worse with Kyrie Irving overall. Uh, They are definitely worse defensively, and this was already a bad defensive team to begin with, and that was one of the worries that you had about this squad when they started to put it together at the trade deadline which was how was this team going to react, respond when you have two guys on the floor who can't really defend at a very high level, and Kyrie Irving and Luka Doncic, when you got rid of your best 3-and-D and, and wing-defending option and Dorian Finney-Smith in the deal, and really what was going to happen to certain guys like a Christian Wood, who has found himself on the fringes of the rotation now, not because of uh, like overall poor play, he hasn't been playing great, but because they can't really find time for him because if they put him on the floor with Kyrie Irving and Luka Doncic, those defensive rotations, I mean, they're terrible. They're flat-out terrible. So as you look at it right now, after last night, Kyrie Irving and Luka Doncic on the floor together, a defensive rating of 118.7, and you look at what happened against the Indiana Pacers, and sure enough, right, the defensive rating for Indiana, or excuse me, for Dallas uh, in this game against uh, Indiana, 126.5. They give up 124 total points. One of the things that I hit on in the write-up yesterday about this game was the fact that one of the big issues outside of his overall defensive play for the Dallas Mavericks was the fact that their transition defense has been abhorrent all year long. And we know that's exactly what Indiana likes to do. And sure enough, what happens yesterday, Indiana adds 7.9 points per 100 possessions through transition offense, puts up an offensive rating overall in transition of 172.7, and off of live rebounds – It was insane, an offensive rating for Indiana of 188.9 off of live rebounds against the Dallas Mavericks. It was a terrible defensive effort. And I was, and I noted this there and in talking about it later in the day with Patrick and Amal on Sharp Money, I was really surprised that the market moved in favor of Dallas as much as it did. And this is now the second consecutive game as we kind of talk about what we're taking away from this from a betting perspective. It's that... The market seems to have a belief here in this Dallas Mavericks team, for at least the last two games it's had a belief. Against Los Angeles Lakers, that number gets bet up to five. And we know what happened in that game, especially in the second half. Defensive rating a 133.3 against the Lakers in the second half of that game, and they end up losing in. In this game, this gets bet all the way up to nine, nine and a half against Indiana, to the point where I thought Tyrese Halliburton wasn't playing, because remember, it opened seven and a half. And generally, you see like two-point moves like that, because somebody's not playing. Not because the market thinks the number is that off, but that was the case. The market fell in love with Dallas yesterday and bet that thing up really high. So look betting big numbers in general in the NBA is always already a, a tough thing to do unless you're, you know, in a really, really good matchup. But when you're a bad defensive team and you're asking that bad defensive team to not only build the lead but to hold it for the entirety of the game and win by you know a certain margin a really really tough ask especially when the matchup doesn't work out for you so if the market's going to continue to bet up this Dallas Mavericks squad I mean it's going to be a a opportunity for betters to come in and play against them as these numbers start to get inflated so we'll see if after these last two times in which the market's been burned if that's going to be the case if maybe the market has learned its lesson Um, but this is not a good Dallas Mavericks defense and I, I wouldn't freak out about this team overall but I think it goes back to what we talked about big picture wise when it comes to Kyrie Irving, Luka Doncic, and everything. And I'm, I've said this multiple times, I think, on this podcast, and it's worth reiterating one more time. Uh, in any series, is, is Dallas capable of beating any team in the NBA in a best-of-seven series? I would say yes. I still say that, right? I'm talking about just one series. Any time? Is it possible? Absolutely. But winning three or four series to win in Western Conference indoor and in NBA Finals, it's just not going to happen with the way that this team is playing defensively. And the other part, the outside noise of all of this, if you will, it does seem that the luster is starting to wear off on the um, the the Jason Kidd relationship here. So we'll see who um, we'll see what ultimately happens. But the noise is already starting in terms of Jason Kidd and um, his comments. We'll say about this team and not throwing them under the bus, but really we'll say expressing his displeasure with the way that this team's defend. Uh, with this team defense and you know it just doesn't really seem like a good situation at this point so again Kyrie Irving Luka Doncic pairing now one and four in the five games the only win over the San Antonio Spurs not a team that I think is big picture has anything going for him and if the market's going to continue to support not a team um, worth betting on at all as we kind of move forward on a day-to-day basis until we see the market really react and respond uh, to what this team actually is now speaking of what a team actually is I think it's a it's a this point right now where it's time to kind of think and consider and I'm kind of almost just talking to myself here um that the Los Angeles Clippers look you don't want to overreact to just three games coming out of the all-star break because going into the all-star break the Clippers looked fantastic they were 10 and 4 in the 14 games prior to the all-star break 9 and 5 against the spread they went to Phoenix got a really big comfortable win over the Phoenix Suns and I, I really do think that while post trade deadline there have been some positives here I think overall Ty Lue does have to kind of look himself in the mirror and wonder what like really make some decisions and wonder what in the world this team was thinking in terms of the additions that they made. And it's not even just the additions that they made the way that they're handling these additions. So really what we're dancing around here is the addition of Russell Westbrook to this, this team overall, because here's the deal. What happened last night and what's happened over the last three games is not Russell Westbrook's fault. However, he has been part of some of the issues here for Ty Lue and the Los Angeles Clippers in that the starting lineup or essentially Kyrie Irving or Kyrie Irving, uh, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, and that pairing with Terrence Mann has been brilliant. It's been brilliant. When you put those three on the floor together, that net rating is now nearly a plus eight with those three on the floor together. It was a really big reason why, They had gone on that 14-game run and won 10 of those contests. He was in the midst of Terrence Mann starting 21 consecutive games and playing that kind of faux point guard position for them. But if you look at some of the numbers now, since Russell Westbrook has come over, this team has really taken a hit. And it's not even just because it's Russell Westbrook's fault, but because Terrence Mann, I think, was such a better fit than Russell Westbrook is. And for some reason, Ty Lue and this Clippers front office – seem beholden to, I don't know if it's player desire, whatever it is, to make this kind of work when in reality you had something that was working and it has now led to three consecutive losses in which your team has looked disjointed on both ends of the floor and it's not really great. And, and the other part, so let's go to last night because we're, you know, we're talking about this recap from yesterday. So the Clippers, they get up to a 12-point lead against the Minnesota Timberwolves in the first quarter, ultimately fall in this game 108-101. to Their offense, which had been brilliant, uh, all season or, or for like the 14 game stretch that i'm talking about since the start of january they i think are the 7th best offensive team in non-garbage time their offense 97.1 offensive rating in this game they turn over the ball on 24% of their offensive possessions the turnovers were abysmal and and bad ones too like Norm Powell deciding to argue with an official in the corner as opposed to get back into the corner to play. And so Nick Batum, thinking that he's going to fill that spot, slings the ball right back to him. Instead, it goes right out of bounds. And you could see it's a very clear displeasure from all the Clippers players with Norm Powell, not focusing on what was happening in that game. But disjointed possessions there. Then at the end of the game, just about 90 seconds left to go. You cut it to five. You have a lot of momentum and you're playing pretty well defensively. And Russell Westbrook just gets the ball on the right elbow and decides to force up like a turnaway away jumper um, and follow a fall away jumper and it clanks off the front of the iron. It was a bad possession. It's a rebound. It goes the other way. Kyle Anderson finishes on a tough layup and you know, the rest is history. There's just some really disjointed possessions and rotations at this point right now that I just don't think make a lot of sense. And you're kind of wondering what Ty Lue is doing at this point because there's the case that you could say, "Oh, we're breaking in rotations, we're trying things out. You got about twenty games left, man like there's this is now now we we're, we're starting to like you got to start to figure out what you're going to do with this team and these rotations and start to put some consistency into these lineups and to give you an idea, how about this? Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, Russell Westbrook on the floor together, a negative 14.8 net rating, an offensive rating of 105.7, and they've given up 120.5 points per 100 possessions. You put Kawhi Leonard and Paul George on the floor with, and you take Russell Westbrook off the court, that net rating goes from a negative 14.8 per 100 possessions to a plus 10.9 per 100 possessions. And while they're worse defensively, when you throw Terrence Mann in there um, – with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. The net rating still with Terrence Mann, Kawhi Leonard, and Paul George on the floor together, plus 7.8. Defensive rating is 120.8. So, again, they're not good defensively, but they're amazing on offense, 128.6, and their most used lineup with Terrence Mann on the floor. Terrence Mann, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, Marcus Morris, we'll get to momentarily in the beach Zubac, a plus 13.3, an a net rating of plus 13.3, I should say. A net rating, sorry it's early, A plus 13.3 and an offensive rating of 133.6. So again, is it all Russell Westbrook's fault? No, not at all. But are they trying to are they ruining something that they know has some really positive returns for some sort of experiment this late in the season? Absolutely. And it doesn't really make much sense at all. The other part of this too is I really don't understand what they're trying to do um, when it comes to the rotation. At forward, Marcus Morris has not been very good at all this year. When he's on the court, they have a negative one net rating. Their offense is average 114.8. Their defense is below average at 115.8. Overall, when Marcus Morris is on the floor this season, um, he only improves their net rating by 0.2 points per 100 possessions. And he's just got a lot of these weird, just disjointed, just unenthusiastic possessions He's not an efficient shooter or scorer. He's got a points-per-shot attempt of 109.1 so far this year. That would be uh, the worst of his career since the 2016-2017 season when he played 79 games for Detroit. And you're in desperate need of some help defensively and to still add that presence in terms of shooting and the ability to force turnovers. I mean, that's Robert Covington. So it's amazing that Covington can't find his way into this lineup. So as we kind of move forward here, I don't want to overreact to a three-game sample size. But you look at the game on Friday against Sacramento. They were laying six and a half, seven. They ended up they had a big lead in that game, but they end up blowing it and lose that game in double overtime. Give up a lot of points defensively. You look at the game Sunday against the Denver Nuggets, in which they open up two and a half, the Denver Nuggets do at home. And I mentioned that to Michael um, and Ben Wilson. Michael Lombardi and Ben Wilson. The Lombardi line went on that day, which was, yeah, I get it's the second leg of a back-to-back, but if nobody's playing, to say that this team, the Denver Nuggets, is only you know, a, is a half point worse than then the uh, Los Angeles Clippers is is incorrect, and sure enough, number opens or closes three and a half, and we know what happens there. They end up winning in overtime and comfortably covering that game. The Denver Nuggets do too. So as we're kind of looking at this Clippers team, and as somebody who bet on them yesterday, and after they got off to that twelve point lead in the first quarter, thinking that it was going to happen and work out pretty well, there's some really there's some really big questions about this Clippers team, and a lot of it has to do with Tyloo and what he's doing with these rotations and what he's going to do with Russell Westbrook, Terrence Mann, and Marcus Morris, and how he's going to figure that thing out. Because I think at this point, I think it's really clear that Terrence Mann needs to be the option there for them, not Russell Westbrook. Russell Westbrook totally has, I think, a place on this roster. I think what we've seen from Russell Westbrook has been fine. But I think the the overall thing is not to point at what Russell Westbrook and go, this is all his fault. It's to point at Ty Lue and the decision makers and go, you had a really good thing. And you're trying to experiment now at the wrong time of the season when in reality you could have been building continuity with a lineup construction that has already some really positive returns. The other thing I wanted to point out, and uh, actually, you know what, we'll save the Lakers' observations for today because um, we're going to talk about them as it's part of a deep slate here in the NBA. So let's take our first break here Um, on the other side. Let's get into the Wednesday card. There's a lot of really good games, including... Kevin Durant making his debut as a Phoenix Sun on the road against the Charlotte Hornets. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in
0: for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. Terms and conditions apply. Here are three reasons Zinn is America's number one nicotine pouch. We use food-grade ingredients. We have a wide selection of varieties, and they all come in two strengths. Find Zin at a store near you. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical.
1: So it's a big day in the NBA because we get to see the Phoenix Suns. And it's, I mean... It's not just because we get to watch the Phoenix Suns. We get to see Kevin Durant as a Phoenix Sun. Kevin Durant is uh, going to make his debut tonight. Now, he is on a minutes restriction, so we'll see what that even means. The other night, Paul George was on a minutes restriction, and he ended up playing like 40-something against the Kings. So sometimes minutes restrictions are nonsense. Um, Brian Windhorst noted in his piece when he reported that he was going to play on Tuesday, or excuse me, Wednesday, that uh, Durant came back from his last injury with Brooklyn and immediately started playing 30 minutes a game. So... It might be a minutes restriction. He might just go out there and play 35 to 38 minutes and just be like a regular starting piece. Who knows? So it's something to keep in mind as we look at this game from a handicapping standpoint. And from those who want to kind of dive right in, I know DraftKings, at least at the time of this podcast and as I was writing this morning, did not have any point total props up for Kevin Durant. But I think what's going to be fascinating here is we're looking, as of this morning, Kevin Durant and the, uh, I was about to say the Oklahoma City Thunder for some reason. That has not been a pairing that has been... Um, together for a very long time. I don't know why that was going to come to my head. Um, Phoenix Suns and the Charlotte Hornets. Kevin Durant and the Phoenix Suns. 10.5 point favorite, 10, uh, with a total of 229. We'll call it 10 because that's a consensus number right now. I would say this, and this is one of the things that I wrote about earlier today, which is like you don't want to dive right in and be like, Suns are going to be awesome. Let's lay this against the Charlotte Hornets. And they could certainly, of course, come out and cover that number. But I think what you're trying to do, as I wrote about today, is and this is for a lot of those out there who bet some of these player props, which is something that I uh, do not get enough into, is finding, I think, edges in player prop markets that really don't involve Kevin Durant, right? Because his presence has already been baked into this line. But it is difficult for odds makers to know what his impact is going to be on others in terms of their production. So like, for example, uh, I'm going to be on the NBA bet stream for this game later tonight and uh, one of my colleagues over there, Matt Moore, who works for the Action Network, covers the NBA, had a a brilliant point, which is Devin Booker assists, for example. It's set at five and a half with a plus place to the over, but Devin Booker is a relatively solid passer, as we already know. When he played point guard for Phoenix last year in the stretch that Chris Paul was out, did a really great job over that stretch in the second half of the season when he had to play that position. And when he's got the ball in his hands, which he's going to have a lot, The floor is going to be open for a Kevin Durant. He's going to have his assists go up as a result of Kevin Durant playing next to him. And so, and it's not necessarily just assists to Kevin Durant that's going to be part of it, but it's going to be assists to everybody else as well because the floor is going to be more open and guys are going to be a little bit more open because you can't really double off of anybody. So there's going to be more opportunities. So when Devin Booker gets a ball, there's going to be a chance that the rate of assists go up for Devin Booker. So Devin Booker assists over at five and a half, I think is a way to look here. The one I noted... In the piece today also, uh, 31.5 is the points and rebounds for one DeAndre Ayton, especially against a somewhat small team in the Charlotte Hornets. Ayton should have a very good matchup that works for him. And if you are a team like the Charlotte Hornets, there is in no way, especially in the possessions in which Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, and Chris Paul are on the floor together, there is no way that you're going to be able to send an extra body to help against DeAndre Ayton in any way, shape, or form, because it's going to open up the floor for these three lethal scores, two and a half lethal scores. Chris Paul's maybe not a lethal scorer anymore, but you understand the point. That Deandre Ayton's going to have a lot of opportunities, and especially against a smaller team, Deandre Ayton over 31 and a half points and rebounds is going to be something that is worth looking at consistently as you move forward. So, you don't you don't necessarily want to run like run headfirst and go. I'm betting the Phoenix Suns. Again, you could do that, but a lot of that is baked into this market already. But it's hard for odds makers to accurately bake in what the change is going to be for a lot of these other players. And so these player props and what we're going to be monitoring in this game and the rest of the games going forward for Phoenix, I think is going to be very fascinating and what this means for the players around them. And I do think the player, the assist prop for Devin Booker, is an interesting one to monitor. And just what it means for DeAndre Ayton. His point total prop today is sitting at 20 and a half. Um, and we'll see. Let's see if this has changed at all. Hmm. By the way, the yes is a minus 235 on a double-double for DeAndre Ayton. Yeah, and 31.5, still the number there. So I think that's what you're trying to find here. If you're looking at angles to bet Phoenix Suns games, you're not looking to bet the Suns. You're looking to bet Suns players around Kevin Durant and what it means for their games. And that's what you're going to be watching tonight, too, against the Charlotte Hornets. Also, you'll be watching the League Pass bet stream. I think, so you should check that out. Uh, other games that are definitely, obviously, you don't want to run through the entire slate in terms of some of the action later tonight, it's a really big card. But we'll hit on a couple of things. And, and I think that there's some there's some fun angles to look at. Or not even fun angles. What I like about doing this podcast as opposed to writing is I can, I think, even though I'm not very well spoken, articulate a little bit better what some of my points are or why I want them to be when it comes to some of these games. So, for example, one of the things I like to do is you know, line comparison matchups, especially when we get these rematches. So Philadelphia is going to be on the road against the Miami Heat. We saw these two teams play on Monday. So it's going to be an immediate rematch in South Beach. So you just flip the courts. But what's really interesting is, so we obviously see an adjustment, right? And the adjustments on these rematches always mirror what you saw in the first game. So what I mean by that is, we saw that game on Monday go well under the total. And we saw the Miami Heat win that game. So the adjustment on the total is, okay, well, we're going to open this total 1.5 points lower because that thing went under by about 18 points, and it, it did. And there was only 91 possessions in that game. So it was an extremely slow-paced game, and it was a low-scoring game. So the market says, okay, we're going to get, take a game that was 2.17 at the Open when they played on Monday. We're going to open at half. That's an adjustment that's worth making. However, what's interesting is there is no adjustment on the side, and in fact, the adjustment is really the way that I didn't think it was going to go, I guess to a certain extent, in that Philadelphia loses that game as a six-point favorite at home. If we're using three points for home court advantage, that would translate to about a pick in Miami. We see that this opens Philadelphia minus one. Okay, shade an extra point to Philadelphia because they lost that game outright at home against Philly. A lot of the market decides to you know charge a point, if you will, in these rematches to the team that lost, thinking they're going to come back and cover and put forth a better effort. So you see that. And then you see the market go, well, one's not enough. We're going to bet this up to two, two and a half. So now all of a sudden, as I mentioned, if you're using three points for home court, the translation should be minus nothing. It should be pick in Miami. And yet here we are today. Philly is laying two as of this morning in Miami. So there's been an adjustment. And the adjustment is upgrade the power rating for the Philadelphia 76ers by a full two points. So it, I think it's a really good way to look at a lot of these matchups. For anybody who's listening to this, right? when we talk about like value and adjustments, there, that V word, value, there's, really, there's no value in this situation in betting Philadelphia. On Monday, the market said that Philly was six points better than Miami at home, three points better on a neutral. Today, the market is saying that they are five points better on a neutral. So you're getting this two-point adjustment. You tell me if there's value in an adjustment like that after they just lost that game to Miami. There isn't. So I think this is why I like this, again, like this audio form, because I think that's a little bit more well-articulated than what I can put in a paragraph, which is these are the things I think you're looking for to help you out as a better. And again, I want to stress, certainly Philadelphia can come out and win this game and cover a two-point spread. But you as a better aren't getting the value, again, to use that word, in this spread. When the market on Monday said that this was a spread that was three points lower, but because of the results, now you got to lay, essentially, two more points. That's not something that works in your favor as a better. And I, I mean, we'll see where the market ends up going with this total, a two. 2.15.5 is pretty much where it's been frozen at since it opened. I think that's really fair. One of the things that I really pointed out in the write-up this morning, which is going to be key— is Philadelphia and the turnovers. They turned it over quite a bit in that game against Miami. I think it was 18 total turnovers, but a turnover rate in that game of just about 23%, 22%. Um, in a low-possession game like that, it was 21.7%. Um, in a low-possession game, right, when we're talking about only 91-90 possessions, 18 turnovers is a lot. That is a lot of giving away possession. 18 turnovers already is already a lot of turnovers. But 18 in a game in which had only 90 possessions, that's a really big amount. So if Philly can cut over, you know, cut into these turnovers, they should have, I think, a matchup that works in their favor here uh, because they did a brilliant job against Miami in, in every facet defensively. And Miami hasn't been a good defensive team at all. But even off of those steals, Miami didn't have that much success in transition. Off of the steals, they only added 1.5 points to their offensive rating per 100 possessions and only averaged 1.4 points per play, according to Cleaning the Glass. So again, the, the takeaway here, If you want to bet Philadelphia, I would say wait in-game. Wait for a little bit of a better number. It's a tight game, so there's probably going to be a chance where you can get a small plus price on Philadelphia and go in that direction as opposed to betting into a market right now pre-flop that I think is a little overbaked at this point right now. Uh, Other games a little bit later because we're going to get to the the games that I have bet. The one game that I have not bet that I have circled is going to be pretty fascinating later tonight. New Orleans on the road against Portland. So Portland's on the second leg of a back-to-back. Portland looks atrocious in the last three quarters of that game against the Golden State Warriors last night. They give up 125.8 points per 100 possessions to the Warriors in that 123-105 loss. Um, And the only reason it was that close is because they had 41 points in the first quarter and Damian Lillard had 15 in that first quarter. After that, it completely falls off and the Trailblazers, from a defensive standpoint, continue to really suffer and not play very well. I can understand the market really kind of fallen out of love with the Portland Trailblazers. And given the fact that this is a no-rest situation, coming back home to face New Orleans, which has the rest advantage, you can understand the market kind of being a little gun-shy here on Portland. However, this does seem like a potential buy-low spot for the Portland Trailblazers because, first off, it's not like the Pelicans come into this game really ripping off wins left and right. They have shown a little bit more consistency in terms of their offense the uh, Pelicans have, but still overall the larger sample size is that their offense has not been very good. They only scored 93 points against Orlando the other day. They have lost four straight. They have only covered one of those games. They have had that little three-game run where they beat the Lakers, the Kings, and the uh, Hawks in a three-game set at home. But this is not a Pelicans team that's played particularly well on the road either. They're 10-21 and 21 straight up and 12-19 and against the spread. So I'm really fascinated by this game because – As I mentioned, I think it's a buy-low spot, not only because of the number. We're sitting at one and a half in favor of Portland, but also because the Pelicans are beat to hell. If you look at the injury report, and you're talking about who could potentially be missing this game, we already know that Jose Alvarado and Larry Nance Jr. have joined Zion Williamson on the sideline. They are injured. They are not going to play in this game. Josh Richardson and Jonas Valanciunas are questionable to play as well. So yes, do you get your CJ McCollum and Brandon Ingram pairing? Sure. But the depth and the pieces around them, this team's getting really thin at this point. And I'd also like to point out that the pairing of CJ McCollum and Brandon Ingram without Zion Williamson has not really been great in terms of the returns. So yes, it, it does. The Pelicans floor offensively get raised by the poor level of play for the Portland trailblazers on defense. Yes. I think there is obviously an argument to be made that that is the case, but to say that Portland at home, to say that New Orleans is one and a half points better on a neutral, because that's what this number's telling you, right? Again, three points for home court has been the case this year. This is a one and a half point spread in favor of Portland. I understand the usual charge that the market gives for teams playing on the second legs of back-to-backs, and the Pelicans have a one day of rest, so they have the rest advantage. But I these I rate these teams as essentially equals. So to say... That, uh, that this is where this number should be, I think is the market somewhat slightly overreacting to how poorly they have played, the Portland Trailblazers. And to give you an idea too, as I say, like the C.J. McCollum-Brandon-Ingram pairing has not really worked out very well. A negative 12.7 net rating with those two on the floor without Zion Williamson, an offensive rating of 109, and a defensive rating of 121.6. Not very good numbers. So I haven't... Portland is not a game I have bet yet. I want to see what the, the injury report looks like on the second leg of a back-to-back. That's the reason why I'm, I haven't used it or played it or anything like that. But if they're at relative full strength outside of the injuries we already know, this seems like a buy low spot for the Portland Trailblazers who are, again, admittedly, in very poor form Coming into this contest. So two games I want to hit on before we get out of here as well. Again, it's a really deep card. I know I didn't hit on everything. You know, Memphis on the road against Houston. I'll hit really quickly. Houston blown up by Never last night. They're 0-10 straight up 3-7 against the spread. But again, I will reiterate you never want to just blindly fade some of these, you know, tanking teams. Because if you wanted to go ahead and throw that parlay together last night, well, guess what happened? The San Antonio Spurs won outright as a 10 and point underdog against the Utah Jazz. It's not necessarily what you think it is when it comes to tanking teams. And on top of that, these teams have such a lead when it comes to the top overall pick. And again, remember, the top, the bottom three teams are the ones that get the best odds. It's not just the number one team anymore or the worst team anymore. That is not something that I think is very much worth chasing. That is a, you know, what is it? Catching a falling knife, I think is the term. So do you want to go in and fade the Houston Rockets? I guess be my guest, but the Grizzlies remember 11 and 18 straight up nine, 18 and two against the spread away from home this season. I think Orlando is a team that might be worth a money line play, but the Bucks have been playing games all year long with Giannis Antetokounmpo status. This is the second leg of a back-to-back Giannis has been dealing with wrist and quad injuries. You want to make sure that he's going to be on the injury report before you go and act. But this number opened up nine and a half overnight. It's down to seven and a half. Probably the market thinking that, Hey, Giannis ain't playing, and it makes sense given the situation, but the Bucs have not been consistent with what they've been doing with Giannis. So you want to wait until that's confirmed or not. And uh, also, last but not least, Lakers on the road against the Oklahoma City Thunder, at least in terms of games we're rolling through really quickly. Just wanted to note that we are now looking at three games with the Lakers or the new-look Lakers without LeBron James, and the offense has been abysmal. They have that two-game stretch against Golden State and Portland, offensive rating of 103.7 in those two games, and then last night against the Memphis Grizzlies, an offensive rating of 100.9. Is it, you know, you go on the road to Memphis, the team who leads the league in defensive rating at home, and you get shut down? The Denver Nuggets did it the other night. So there's really no shame in doing that. But we're now, we're now talking about a growing sample size of this version of the Lakers without LeBron James having a lot of trouble offensively. And that's just something to note now as we move forward. On the road against Oklahoma City, second leg of a back-to-back for both teams. So we'll see if there's anything from an injury standpoint. OKC is a one-point favorite as of this morning. But the Thunder don't really seem interested in winning games anymore. And maybe we see this flip to the Lakers. The two games we wanted to hit in some detail before we get out of here, though, Uh, Brooklyn Nets on the road against the New York Knicks. Ended up betting the Knicks first half minus four and a half. Uh, Second leg of back-to-back rest advantage in the New York Knicks favor. Knicks have also been one of the best first-half teams in the NBA. They've outscored opponents by 6.1 points per 100 possessions. An offensive rating of 117.3 in the first half. This season, it's the fourth best offensive rating in the first half of any team in the NBA for the New York Knicks. And the Knicks are just better, man. They've been a lot better. Josh Hart's been a brilliant uh, addition to this team. He fits perfectly. Mitchell Robinson, of course, is back in the lineup because he is healthy now. That changes things, especially from when these two teams played a couple of weeks ago. And Brooklyn defensively, again, like the sample size continues to grow for them as well. A defensive rating of 122.3 over the last six games. That is the stretch of games that we have seen this new-look Nets team. The defense has not been any good. The offense continues to put up disjointed efforts, 109.3 offense rating in those six games as well. I, instead of going a full game at minus 7.5, I think I'll play on the Knicks and their ability to play very well in this first half and on that rest advantage that they're going to have, laid 4.5 with the New York Knicks in this game against the Brooklyn Nets. And uh, last but not least, the Chicago Bulls against the Detroit Pistons. I don't know if you can hear my child. He's very upset. It's early in the morning. um but uh, shout out to Jeff Schwartz over there on Twitter, the great observation. Chicago, 3-0 to the under in the three games in which both Patrick Beverly and Alex Caruso start. And how about this? And these numbers in the backcourt? When you have Patrick Beverly and Alex Caruso on the floor together, the Bulls have allowed just 89.8 points per 100 possessions. <laughs> now, their offense, though, their offense stinks. An offense are rating a 114 in those possessions, and they never run. They have never run. Uh, with those two out there, it's not like you have like Patrick Beverly who's like really pushing the pace. They have only, so far, it's only three games, started just 9.8% of their offensive possessions with a transition play. So against the Detroit Pistons team that has been playing extremely, extremely inefficient offense, even with Jaden Ivey and Jalen Duren and others on the floor, uh, this seems like a pretty good matchup to play this thing under the total. thing that might burn you, like with some of these other underplays, is that the Bulls do enough offensively to get this thing over the total, but they should do enough defensively to push this thing under. And uh, These games have been going under the total, and it's not going to be a fast game either. So I think the market has responded accordingly, too. I think we're down to 223 consensus with this one. All right. This is an early morning one, so I kind of had to rush through it. We appreciate you listening. Uh, Once we get on a normal schedule and I don't have to fill in on Lombardi lines and we can record these, uh, we'll have a little bit more flow to them and a little bit more detail and some more guests as well as we record these the night before. But until then, look for the next episode on Friday. Kelly and I will be back together. Like, rate, review, subscribe, and we'll talk to you then here on Hardwood Handicappers.
0: If you dare.